Section 19 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 19, Part 2nd, Section 1, Chapter 3 The Dragonstone. Siegfried returned to his lodging that evening, feeling happier than he had ever done before. Early next morning he rode out into the wood to hunt, but his thoughts were so full of Krimhild that he let the game pass by unheeded. Coming back empty-handed in the afternoon, he found both town and palace in great confusion. Warriors and citizens were shouting and crowding in every open place. Queen Ute was weeping and wringing her hands. Siegfried heard broken fragments of conversation, but no one answered his questions. At length he entered the great hall, where he found Hagen, and asked him the meaning of the disturbance, and whether some dreadful thing had happened. "'That it has,' replied Hagen. "'It could not be worse. But what is to be must be, and as men said in the olden time, what the Norns have ordained must needs be best.' "'Hearken, Siegfried,' When we were in the tilt-yard this morning, we were startled by hearing a rushing noise in the air, and the brightness of the sun was darkened as if the wolf's gill were devouring it. The thing of terror that approached was a flying dragon, of shape so monstrous that there is none like it in all the realm of Hela. As it flew over our heads, we flung spears at it, but they bounced off its horny skin like reeds. Next moment we heard a cry and saw that the monster had caught up sweet Krimhild from her seat in the garden, and was bearing her off through the air so rapidly that both were soon out of sight. "'And none of you went in pursuit?' shouted the Nibelung hero. "'Cowards that you are!' "'Are you mad?' asked Hagen unmoved. "'Are you a bird that you can fly through wind and cloud?' "'I shall seek out the monster.' said Siegfried quietly. If I have to wander through the whole world and Hela's realm itself, I shall find the maiden or my death. He hastened away, mounted his horse, and rode by unknown paths, leading he knew not whither. A ferryman set him across the Rhine, and then he wandered about among the bare mountains, but found no trace of the dragon's abode. At length he reached a dark and trackless pine forest. The boughs of the trees hung so low that he had to dismount, and lead his horse by the bridle. As night came on, he threw himself under a tree, utterly exhausted, leaving his steed to graze at will. At midnight he heard the tramp of a horse's hoofs, and looking up saw a faint red light approaching. The rider was a little dwarf. On his head was a golden crown, the point of which was formed of a shining carbuncle, the hero asked the dwarf to show him the way out of the forest, and the little creature answered that he was glad they had met, for no one knew the forest better than he, adding that he was the dwarf king Yugel, who lived in the mountains hard by with his brothers and thousands more of their race. As for you, he continued, I know that you are Siegfried of the Netherlands. I have often seen you when I have been going about the world with my cap of darkness on. You could never have got out of the wild wood without my help, but would infallibly have found your grave at the Drakenstein, where the terrible giant Kuberan and the great dragon have taken up their abode. On hearing this, Siegfried shouted aloud for joy, and promised the dwarf a rich reward, even to the whole Nibelung horde, if he would lead him to the Drakenstein. This Yugo refused to do, 
fearing for the hero's life, but when Siegfried threatened to slay him, and at the same time seized him by the waist and shook him till his crown fell off, he promised to obey. He replaced his crown and rode on first through the dark forest. At daybreak they reached their destination. "'Knock at that door,' said the little king. "'It is there that Kubran lives. If you are hero enough to slay the giant, I and mine will serve you, for now we are entirely in the power of that monster.' Having thus spoken, he donned his cap of darkness and vanished. Siegfried knocked at the door, at first gently, then louder and louder, at the same time shouting to Kubran to give him the keys of the Drachenstein. Suddenly the door sprang open. The giant rushed out in a tremendous passion and asked in a thunderous voice what Siegfried meant by disturbing his morning's sleep. With these words he hid out at the warrior with the pole he had in his hands, which was taller than any of the treetops, and every blow of which rang like a castle bell. Siegfried sprang aside to avoid the pole, and then the battle began. The giant swung his pole with such good will that trees and rocks came rattling down, but he never succeeded in touching his agile foe. At length, holding his weapon in both hands, he brought it down on the ground with such terrible force that it clove the earth three fathoms deep. As he stooped to draw it out, the hero sprang upon him and gave him three deep wounds. The giant, howling with pain, slunk into his dwelling and slammed the door behind him. Siegfried battered at the iron door but could not move it. He sought to force an opening with his good sword and succeeded in cutting some holes and crannies. He peeped into the inner room and saw the giant binding up his wounds and then arming himself in a suit of mail that glistened like the sun when mirrored in the sea. In another minute, Kuperan came forth, and the combat was renewed. After a long struggle, Sigurd had the best of it, and the giant begged for his life, swearing to be a true comrade and helper in the hero's fight with the dragon, who could not be overcome without his aid. Upon this, Siegfried gave Kuperan his hand in friendship, bound up his wounds, and promised on his side to be his faithful comrade, but as he entered the cavern first, the false giant hit him so hard a blow on his helmet that he fell senseless to the ground. Eugle, who was watching all that passed unseen, came up at the same moment and flung his cap of darkness over the hero. While the monster thought he had vanished through enchantment and felt about for him outside, Siegfried recovered from his swoon, sprang to his feet, and, tearing off the cap of darkness, cut down the giant with the first blow. He once more forgave the traitor, but forced him to go on before. Faithless Kuperan again tried to murder the hero at the entrance of the Drakenstein, and Siegfried would not have again forgiven him if he had not needed his help to save the maiden. The giant now brought out the key, unlocked the door, and led the hero through many passages into a vaulted chamber, in which a soft twilight reigned. Looking around, Siegfried saw her whom he sought, looking pale and wan, but very beautiful. He called her name and hastened to her. He even dared to clasp her in his arms. He felt that she returned his kiss, and the consciousness that he was loved made him feel so strong that he could have fought all the powers of hell for her sweet sake. Kriemhild wept bitterly and entreated him to be gone before the dragon came back. But Siegfried asked for nothing better than to come face to face with the monster, hew him in pieces, and save the princess. The giant now told them that a sword was hidden in the Drachenstein, so fashioned that it could cut through the scales of a dragon. The warrior set out to fetch it, accompanied by Kuperan and Kriemhild. 
Siegfried saw the hilt of the sword on a ledge of rock just below the edge of the beetling cliff. He stooped to pick it up, and at the same moment the monster seized him and strove to fling him over. A terrible struggle began, in which the bandages came off the giant's wounds, his blood streamed down, his strength failed him, and Siegfried flung him into the depths below. A loud laugh of joy was heard, and the victor, turning, saw King Eugel, who thanked him heartily for having delivered the dwarfs from their cruel taskmaster. At his command, a number of mannequins appeared, bearing food and wine to refresh the brave warrior after his exertions. He was much in need of food for he had not tasted a mouthful for two days. The dishes Krimild placed before him, and the wine she gave him, tasted better than anything he had ever eaten or drunk before. All at once a rushing sound was heard in the air, and a howl of rage so terrible that all the dwarfs hid themselves in any crannies of the rock that they could find, and the hero and maiden were startled out of their momentary feeling of security. Krimhild entreated, prayed her lover to conceal himself, but he was a stranger to fear, and refused to fly. The monster approached like a storm-cloud, preceded by flames of fire. It came nearer and nearer, dark, mysterious, gruesome. The mountain trembled, and the little dwarves, hiding in the fissures of the rock, feared to be crushed to death. At Siegfried's request, Krimhild withdrew into the vaulted chamber. And now the dragon fell upon the hero, tore away his shield with its claws, and tried to seize him in its great teeth. The warrior knew how to act. He sprang aside until the fiery breath that issued from the dragon's yawning jaws had cooled. Then he renewed his attack, now on the right, now on the left of the monster, taking care to avoid its claws. All at once he felt himself encircled by the dragon's tail. He made a marvelous spring— freed himself, and sought to attack the creature in front, where it was undefended by scales. Upon this the dragon caught him so tight within its curling tail that he could not free himself. In sore distress he seized his good sword Balmung in both hands, and gave so hard a blow that the rocks trembled. But his object was attained. The tail was cut off and rolled thundering over the edge of the cliff. A second blow, as hard as the first, divided the monster in two. "'Tis true,' The jaws still snapped at the hero, but he, with the last effort of his strength, flung the pieces over the cliff. Having done this, he fell back exhausted and half-stifled by the poisonous breath with which the dragon had so long surrounded him. When he came to himself, he found Krimhild's arms round him, and the dwarfs busily engaged burning herbs and sprinkling essences to do away with the baneful effect of the fetid odors with which the place was impregnated. The dwarfs now led the hero and the maiden into their underground kingdom, where a feast was prepared for them. While they rested, Eugel told them that the dragon had formerly been a man of handsome figure and face, but that a mighty enchantress, whom he had deserted, changed him into a dragon under which form he was to remain for the rest of his life, unless a pure maiden should consent to marry him within six years. The dwarfs offered the warrior his choice of all their treasures, he took certain things from them, placed them on his horse beside Krimhild, and, accompanied by Eugel, set out on his return to Worms. When they reached the edge of the wild forest, the dwarf king looked at him sadly and said, You must know, bold warrior, that your life will be short but glorious. You will fall by the envy of your own kindred, but your fame will last through all ages, and your name will be held in honor by the bards of every nation as long as the human race exists on the earth. 
Hugel then took leave of him and returned to his home in the forest. When Siegfried and Krimhild came down to the banks of the Rhine, the hero took the treasure that the dwarf had given him and sunk it in the deep waters of the river. "'What is the use of gold to me?' he said. "'My life is to be short but glorious. Hide it in thy bosom, mighty river. May it gild thy waves and make them gleam more brightly in the sunlight. Gold does the devil's work in the hands of the children of men. It sharpens the assassin's dagger to strike some unsuspecting heart, perhaps mine.' but as yet I live in the light of day. I will rejoice in my glory and in my love for the sweetest maiden on the face of the earth. He then rejoined Kriemhild and called the ferryman to take them across the Rhine, after which they pursued their way to Worms and were received there with great rejoicing. Siegfried took the first opportunity when he found Gunther alone to ask him for his sister's hand, and the king answered, I will give her to you with all my heart, if you will first help me to win a high-born and most heroic woman to be my wife, I mean Brunhild, the proud queen of Iceland, for whose sweet sake many a wooer has already gone to his death. I know her well, replied Siegfried, and have seen how she bears herself in the fray. She fights bravely and well, yet I do not fear but that she will find her masters in you and me. You will do well to prepare for an early start that we may get back before the end of summer." Queen Uta and her daughter feared the result of the adventure, but Siegfried told them to be of good courage. He promised to stand by Gunther in life and death. Even the proud Queen of Iceland would scarcely prove so hard an antagonist as the monster of the Drakenstein. The king proposed to take a thousand warriors in his train, but Siegfried dissuaded him, and when at last they started, the party of adventurers consisted of Gunther, Grim Hagen, Donkwart and himself. End of chapter three. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado.